Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Hello, welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. I am Krista Bontrager. And this is the show where we talk about all things related to God, life, and the Bible. I'm glad to be with you. I'm excited. Yes. You know what? Krista asked me, are you going to wear the same shirt you had on last week? I said, (laughs) yes, indeed. Yes, I am. I love my shirt. I'm not even going to play. Yes. And I get to wear truth like right here. I just get to be like, instead of Superman or Superwoman, I get to wear like the truth right on my right, right there. I love it. Okay. Well, this show is brought to you by Family 210 Clothing Shop, the Center for Biblical Unity and the Theology Mom podcast. If you want to get your swag for the Center for Biblical Unity, you can just go to the website, centerforbiblicalunity.com slash merch. You can get a shirt for $20, $5 of which goes right back into the ministry. We all also have other stuff. We have kids things. We have face masks, COVID masks. Do you need a face mask and a baby onesie? <laughs> Come to the Center for Biblical Unity. <laughs> Yes. And uh, every dollar right now is fund helping us fundraise for our small group curriculum. Uh, yes. We are trying to pull that together. So if you would like to help us invest in the small group curriculum development, you can do so by purchasing some merch. And we have some really cool people. Oh, my gosh. People were sending in their pictures. I know. And their shirts. So cute. All right. All so right. our guests this week. Okay, so I was excited about Auntie Carol, but y'all know. Now, here comes Uncle Virgil. I remember when he popped up in our chat one day by surprise, I literally almost passed out. I was like, (laughs) what in the what? And so Virgil Walker co-hosts a podcast called Just Thinking Podcast with him and Daryl Harrison. And they be bringing some word. I'm like. Wow. Now, I remember when they first started, I was a little unsure. I, had, I just didn't not know. Not when they first started, when you first no, started. when I first started. started not listening. when they first started. When I, when I first started listening to them, I was a little unsure. But now, look at this. Blessed family as we are. <laughs> or is it, well, I think we're sort of in ministry with them uh, Sound from the sound of it but, uh, before the show, because they're doing a lot of, lot of calls with pastors. Yes. Uh, helping elders and church leaders navigate this cultural moment. Yes. And that's what we want to talk to them about. Yeah. How, if you're a pastor, how do you navigate the situation of your church going woke, not going woke and, you know, people within the congregation wanting you to be woke or wanting you to address things from a certain perspective. It's real people, the, the pastors and everyone who are recommending things like white fragility or, um, white awake and all of that. Okay, so let's talk about Virgil Walker. He's a discipleship pastor at Westside Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Yes. He's currently working on Master Divinity at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Virgil and his wife, Tamika, have been married for 25 years. They have three children. And I love it that part of his bio is that he has been involved in jail ministry, street evangelism, praying for people outside of abortion clinics. This man's bringing some practical Ministry experience. Yeah, and bring in the word. So let's get him on here. Virgil, welcome. 
All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm honored to be here. I would, this is my usual Saturday night is is kind of kicking it with you all. So uh, it is a it's a blessing to actually be on as a guest. I'd watch your other guests with envy. I'm like, I wonder when they're going to I wonder when they're going to let a brother come on. I mean, I just want to come on and interact with you. So I'm glad oh, to be here. That's very sweet. Well, thank you for for making the time for us. And well, this is just our family, our family time of uh being in our living room together. We literally are in our living room. Yes, We've converted to a studio. Literally. Used to be our homeschool classroom when my kids were young. And uh, so it's just great to have you part of the family. Maybe you could start off by telling us a little about your background and, and how you started migrating into pastoral ministry, because that's a bit of a second career for you. Yeah, a li- little bit. I was uh, come from the great state of Oklahoma. I call it the promised land. I uh, try to get back there as soon as I can. Uh, I'm a big football, college football fan. For those who listen to the show, they know I'm a big OU fan, and that's very unique being here in Nebraska. Um, but uh, I moved here uh, based upon uh, I was in pharmaceutical sales for years. I have my master's degree in business, and so uh, I was really trying to climb the corporate ladder and try to be successful. And really, truth be told, um, and, and again, this will have to be an- another time we'll talk about the prosperity gospel and my background in that circle. Uh, but I was I was really just pursuing prosperity, pursuing that, you know, that that, that dream that mm-hmm. that that gospel sells. And uh, and it seemed to be working. I had a great job making a great income and a great salary. But at the same time, I was involved in business to the degree that I really knew at the end of the day that I was running from 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 a call uh, to ministry. I would move my family from Oklahoma to Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, I, I become a manager for a, a mid-sized uh, pharmaceutical company. Uh, I was uh, uh, ma- managing a team of about nine people in three states. Uh, enjoyed what I was doing, but the more and more I did it and the more and more successful uh, that I became at that, uh, the, the more just kind of disheartened I was. That What I thought was success in that way uh, really proved to be rather empty the, the more and more I pursued it. So it was kind of one of those pivotal points in my life where I recognized, okay, I'm, I'm at the point in my life where I've got to make a decision. Do I push forward with this or do I really yield my life to what I believe God has called me to? Uh, and that is ministry. I did not know what that would look like. Uh, and so I just started uh, uh, getting theologically educated and trained. Uh, I went to uh, uh, you know seminary. You guys mentioned Midwestern. I was just kind of putting seminary classwork together uh, while serving at my local church there at Westside Church. Uh, long story short, the pastor saw uh, a teaching gift uh, and really, really wanted to leverage it. I was already doing stuff with students, with with young people, with adults uh, and the like. And so it was a natural transition when the discipleship pastor who, who previously held the position moved elsewhere. Uh, they had approached me and asked me if I wanted to step into that role. And initially, truth be told, my response was no way. Uh, I really felt like I needed uh, to be incredibly grounded theologically and get theological education and training before I took on a position like that. Um, so they, they circled back with me and said, listen, we'll we'll make sure you get theologically educated and trained and uh, we'll walk you through that process kind of hand in hand. So they've really partnered with me uh, in allowing me to pursue my, my master's of divinity uh, while uh, performing the functions uh, and role as a pastor. So currently as discipleship pastor at Westside Church, I provide oversight uh, for what was pre-COVID, what was about 90 
uh, different life groups on three different campuses. Wow. And so I, I provide all of the theological education and training uh, and oversight for those groups and, uh, and, and try to do all that I can to make sure that they're growing deeper in their knowledge of the word and that they're multiplying as well. So that's, that's awesome. And yeah. kudos to your, to your church for supporting your seminary education. I mean, that's one of the points that Monique and I have talked about a number of times on the show. We did a whole episode about the need for seminary education among yeah. pastors. And, and how it's on the decline. Yeah. And so just kudos to your church for supporting you in that, letting you get practical ministry experience and seminary education. If this whole podcast thing doesn't work out for me, can I come work for you? Come like on, girl. That, let's do it. That sounds like the ideal kind of church gig I would like. Oh, wow. So, I yeah. mean, what you trying to say about our I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she sees something in the future. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, my goodness gracious. Yeah. Hi, I'm just going to be here by myself. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. All right. Now, here's, here's the real. In talking about things like the social gospel, um, social justice, being woke, woke theology, what are your thoughts? Like, do you see this as being a threat to the gospel and to the structure of the evangelical church? Because we get that question all, all the time. time. It's like all the time. Well, like, can it just can't they just kind of go both go together? You can read Matthew and White Fragility. Well, you can, you, you can you can read them both, but they're contrary gospels. There it they, is. They are they're, they're one 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 is the true gospel, the other is the false gospel. You look, you have in the book of Galatians, you have Paul admonishing the Galatians, who's bewitched you? You know who, who's come in and given you a a different, a separate gospel? How how have, how have you have you traded in the true gospel for this false gospel? I mean, I was I was walking through uh, today. Uh, a study uh, of, uh, of Philippians with a with a group of, of folks, and 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 it, within within chapter four of Philippians, Paul is dealing. Which uh, chapter three, chapter four, Philippians, Paul is dealing with those who are trying to bring in another gospel. That circumcision, that 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 some works based gospel, is the nature by which the true gospel needs to be enacted. And the reality is. These are these are different gospels. I'm I'm going to be uh, on tomorrow preaching a sermon at my church uh, about this very issue and 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 all of the buzzwords that you mentioned from social justice to white fragility to uh, you know uh, white white guilt uh, all, all of these buzzwords that are brand new that have been been newly brought into the culture are the formation of a different and false gospel. Yes. It, it is a gospel of works. Uh, it is a gospel of penance, not repentance. Uh, and it is a gospel that, that says that Christ paid the price for every other one of our sins, except for the sin of the of slavery from the historic past in, a, in the United States of America. And, 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 the, and again, the problem with, with viewing things that way is that that introduces an absolutely false gospel. Man, we only like 10, 15 minutes in and we we there. Yes, you better come through. Yes. Now, okay, so in looking at it being a false gospel, this false narrative, one of the things that I see and I think we've said together is one, it's called Jesus Plus because it's Jesus Plus all these other things that I have to do. But it appears that there's a whole new canon. Like there's a whole new list of books I have to read aside from, you know, Genesis to Revelations. Would, right. Like, what are your thoughts? Do you agree? Am I, maybe I'm just making it up. No, I, I heard you. I heard you share that on a, on a previous episode and, and was and was in. I, I was back. Look, if I had a fan, I'd be fanning. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I got you. I'm, I got See? you. See? Yes. <laughs> yes. 
if I had a fan, I'd be fanning it because I, I, I thought when you said that, I thought that's that's absolutely spot on. The, the reality is, you know, the, the key to this is not look, it's not solo scriptura, right? It's not it's not scripture alone. It's scripture plus it's scripture plus, And you mentioned it. It's a whole new canon of, 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 of books that now must be read. And, and what's be, what we're, what we're hearing is you, you know, if, if we disagree, the reason is not because we've held tightly to what scripture says. If we disagree, it's because we've not done our homework and that what's necessary for us to do our homework is for us to, to read, you know, Tanahisi Coates or, 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 or Jamar Tisby mm-hmm. or some other, you know, uh, or, or Eric, you know, Eric Mason or, mm-hmm. or some other author who's now written on this book or, or has written a book uh, from a, 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 a critical race theory perspective, from a, from a perspective of, of, of liberation theology. I've, I've got behind me uh, on my, on, on my, my, my desk back there, I've got all of I've got all of, of, of Cone's works. I've read through mm-hmm. all of that, and all, and what I recognize is that everything that we're seeing in CRT and of all these books, the brand new canon, all that is is regurgitated, yes. repackaged, reshifted Conean theology. That's yep. all it is. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. So, you know, we've been getting a lot of letters uh, from people they're talking to us about their concerns about their church. They're they're noticing. Uh, Well, it's just a lot of sad stories. I don't know if you're getting these kinds of letters, Mm -hmm. too, because you're kind of, uh, you know, our shows sort of cover some similar themes. And we're getting just a lot of of sad letters about what's happening in churches across the the country. Um, Maybe we could start with some straight talk to your fellow pastors. I mean, we're some of the letters that we're getting. They're very concerned about their congregation splitting. And they're afraid uh, to address these issues and to take a a stand against books like Eric Mason or Be the Bridge because they see those as kind of, well, maybe this can help keep my church together. And and I can, you know, I can kind of have the best of both worlds here. I actually didn't even tell you, but I got a, a message yesterday from a pastor who's afraid that if he doesn't accept the ideology that his board will rise up and fire him. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that question of like. Yeah, like, maybe yeah. you just talk to the pastors a just minute. Some straight talk. <laughs> well, I, 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 I've noticed a number of things with regard to this. First of all, uh, like you all, uh, you, you know, you got a, You got a popular show. Monique, I was watching. There was a, a video you did uh, with with a, with a lady and I can't remember her name. Elisa Childers. Yeah, it's got like what thirty thousand views on that one particular uh, video. Um, it, it's it's uh, it's been amazing. I think that's a blessing and a curse in this way. I don't mean that for you. I definitely know that that's been that's how that's how Daryl and I kind of view um, the the, po- the popularity of just thinking. It's been prior to you know the the George Floyd episode. We had been growing at a pretty steady rate and was seeing incredible success. But after the George Floyd episode, I want to say that one particular episode got somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred and close to 150,000 downloads wow. and pushed us into the number one uh, Christian podcast in the country for about, for about two weeks. And so it, it was, it was amazing to kind of witness that. What that says to me is this one, there are too few voices who are proclaiming biblical truth. And two, the reason why is all of these people are interested in hearing that truth. So they're funneling to the handful of us 
that are really standing on the word of God. Mm -hmm. And what that says to the question you asked is that there are a lot of pastors who are absolutely confused. And the reason for the confusion is because prior to now, we haven't stuck with biblical anthropology. We haven't stuck with biblical ecclesiology. What we've done is we've been pragmatists. And so what we've bent the need to is that which works. What do we think is going to grow our congregation? So what we've done is rather than going to scripture, we've gone to the latest TED Talk to find out how we grow our churches. And as a result of, of absorbing TED Talks and special speakers and folks who are, have, have particular church growth strategies, pastors have become beholden to that rather than the text of scripture. And now as, this, as, as culture has changed and, and issues have shifted, they are now looking for someone because they've let, go of the, they, they, they've let go of scripture. They're looking for someone to tell them how to navigate that. So when someone comes along and says to them, oh, well, you need to read the, this additional canon, they go, oh, okay. Most of them haven't even read the books. Yeah. But in order to look woke and in order to look relevant and in order to maintain their pragmatic position, they've simply paired it out to others. Hey, you need to read this, this, and this. And they haven't really read it themselves. I would argue that rather than read those books, what they need to do is go back to the truth of scripture. Amen. What they need to do is open up the pages of, of scripture and unpack a biblical anthropology, a biblical view of man. They have to have a biblical view of what the church is designed to do. The church is, is, is nowhere intended to, to push forward some woke agenda, right? The, 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 the point and purpose of the church is to equip the saints for works of ministry. And if we're properly preaching the gospel and equipping saints, issues that surround ideas around racism will be dealt with through gospel proclamation and gospel transformation and people living out the gospel in their lives and and, and where they live. I think that's so powerful because that's, that's what we've been saying too. And, and, and yet we have conversation after conversation with people behind the scenes and they really want to find a way that I think they're afraid. Pastors are afraid that if they if they don't accept critical race theory, if they don't accept woke church theology and Eric Mason and be the bridge, if they don't accept that, then somehow they're going to be racist. Yeah. And they're they're not going to like it's either one or the other. And we keep trying to explain, no, you don't you can have a conversation about racism apart from critical race theory mm-hmm. and we can do that. Like scripture tells us everything we need to know about that. Well, I mean, in fairness, I feel like being a racist right now is the worst sin that you could ever have committed. And, you know, in reality, we all carry bias, you know? And so how do we even have the conversation of, you know, we all have bias and that doesn't make you a racist and you can have this conversation and be in this space But people are so afraid that if they if they enter into the space from this point of view, then they'll be labeled a racist. And as soon as they're labeled a racist, they'll be canceled. Yeah. I think a lot of pastors are afraid of being canceled. Yeah. Well, here's here's the thing about about that in particular. I mean, (laughs) the, the challenge I have is when when I when I open up my Bible, it's clear that we're that in this world, we're going to be persecuted. Right. I mean, if, if you signed up as a pastor to be liked by someone, you've got you've gotten yourself into the wrong profession. 
That is not what this is about. We've been called to die. We've been called to live, live a life of, of suffering, right? Uh, Philippians chapter one, verse 29, Paul, Paul admonishes the Philippians that, that they, should, they should rejoice. They should find joy in their connectivity with suffering so that they can identify with Christ. We see this over and over and over again in the scripture. The problem is in, in the American culture and American evangelicalism, as we know it, has, has preached this mantra that they need to be like that pastors. I, I love what I love what uh, what Dr. Steve Lawson talks about. He says the reason why we're seeing what we're seeing in the culture is because more pastors aren't willing to preach in a way that people want to people want to kill them, that people want to oh. martyr them, that people want to murder them. That, then they're standing because of the because of the fact that they're standing on the truth of the word. Uh, Monique, you talked about it. You, you talked about you know making sure that 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 that, that we examine our bias. I mean, yeah, absolutely examine our bias. Absolutely, we should be Matthew chapter seven, right? Taking the log out of our own eyes so that we can see clearly to take the speck out of our brother's eye. Absolutely, we should do that. But at the same time, as we do that, we should be boldly declaring what the truth of God's word says. I, I, I've always told my, 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 my white brothers and sisters, stop kowtowing to this nonsense. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> Okay, now see, here it is. And y'all, y'all might be thinking that I am funny and like playing a game, but I am waiting for the right white person to stand up, to be like, not today, Satan, not today, because this is really what it's going to be. Like you, I wish, I wish somebody would come tell me to, to kiss their boots or shine their shoes. Like, right. but, but this is what the culture is saying. It's saying that you have to, bow down to this. You have to accept this. Otherwise, you're pay racist. Reparations. And pay reparations or we're going to cancel you. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your community. Like, no, this is this is why we have to be family. Because when somebody comes for Krista, y'all can best believe you going to get me. Mm-hmm. You best believe you going to get me. Like, that. that's what family is. And right now, what I'm seeing is that we're separating on color lines. That's crazy. We, right. you have to stand up. We are, we're going to have to like, oh my gosh, I love how you said, like, we're not preaching that people want to like kill us, you know, like we're going to have to get to that place and risk losing life and house and job to stand for the truth of the gospel. Do you think Virgil that some pastors are going to have to be willing to go through a church split or to be defunded? or fired from by their elder board. Do you, do you think that that's if, if, if pastors are really going to stand for historic Christianity, do you, do you think it's going to come to that for some people? Well, I, I, I you know what? I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think if, I think if that's your concern, you're already, you're already in a problem, in a problematic place. I mean, if, 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 if that's what, if that's the thought process that's going through your mind, man, I, I can either stand up or be canceled. I mean, you're, 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 you're not following biblical Christianity. I, I turn to Philippians chapter one. I want to get to some scripture where, where Paul says this in uh, Philippians chapter one, verse 22, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, but if I am to live in the flesh, that means, that means fruitful labor for me, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm, I'm, I'm reading this to, to make a point. Paul, Paul is in this condition. He's in this situation where he's recognizing that, that he's, he's let go of, of the thought process about the comforts of this world. 
about, about the benefits of living this life. What he cares most about is proclaiming truth, is proclaiming the gospel. And until we get to the point where for us to live as Christ and to die is gain, we, we'll, we'll be caught up in what the culture is, is, is telling us we should be a part of. I mean, we've, we've got to have that mindset, that mentality. What, what I was saying is, is I, I've just encouraged my white brothers and sisters to examine your heart. Examine your heart. It, it, do, do, walk through Matthew chapter 7. Look at your heart. Examine your heart. If you know that there's no wicked way in you, if you know that that's not a part, then, then declare the truth with boldness. Care enough about the people in your congregation to preach the truth to them, to tell them the truth of the gospel. You're not helping them by placating, by patty caking, by, by, by not telling them the truth. I, I, I love uh, what Daryl and I walk people through in Acts 17, 26. We know that from one man, right, God created one man. And from that, all nations of mankind were formed. Why is that important? Why do we spend the time in Acts chapter 17, 26? We do that so that people can understand the oneness of our, our union, the oneness of the fact that we are all image bearers of God created in his image and likeness, and that we all came from one man, that there's one human race. Why do we stress that? I, you know, some people argue, oh, you're playing a, a game of semantics. We're not. We have to recognize a biblical anthropology so that, so that men who are of a different melanin count can be bold to declare that truth as they stand on the word of God rather than what we're hearing from the culture. That's powerful. That's really powerful. And you I, know when you just got to sit back because <laughs> it's so real. Yeah. It's so, and this is the, this is the, to me, the idea of family and, and the unity that we have. It is so that we can make a way for somebody else to use their voice so that you do feel protected that because we are all one, we are one race, we are one people, but right. too often we don't, we're not believing that we're not believing we no. were pursuing reconciliation. Right. And I remember you said it, um, you put it in the chat. It's like that um, races don't reconcile hard to do. You know, like we, what are we looking to reconcile with the work of reconciliation was done at the cross. Now, how do we walk in unity? This is the question. I, I remember having a conversation with Monique a while back of, can you help me understand this term of racial reconciliation? I don't know what I'm reconciling to. And, and I know I'll and, probably give you some weird answer. Leave me yeah. alone. <laughs> Leave me alone. But I think it's important. To, what you said is that we have already, that work of reconciliation has already happened at the cross. Now yeah. we can have a discussion about, you know, how do we walk that out? Mm -hmm. But there's nothing to reconcile at this point. And, you know, you said something earlier, Virgil, and I would love to revisit that about Christ's death and, and his blood covers all our sins, all mm -hmm. the sins, even sins that now all of a sudden I'm supposed to be guilty of because of my skin color that happened 150 years ago. I am now feeling guilt about does Jesus cover those sins too? Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I would, I would say this and, and if we act as if one of the things I said was that the idea that there's this original sin of, of slavery in America that was not paid for by Christ on a cross. Mm -hmm. that, that's the, that's the, that's what we're, that's what we're dealing with from the culture. There's this one sin that everything else he's paid for except for the sin of slavery. And what's crazy about that, and I love what, what my brother Daryl always talks about, the, the sin that's attached to you based upon your melanin count is sin by proxy. It's not even your sin. And right. it may not even be your forefather's sin. Like you may not have had 
family members who had slaves. You, you, may, you may have come, you, your, your people may have come here after the slave trade was over with, but that's irrelevant because what they've done is by, by using terminology, unbiblical terminology like white guilt, uh, like white fragility, they, once they've gotten off of the pages of scripture and use, use wording and phrases and ideas that are unbiblical, that, that have no, no bearing on what scripture says, then what they're able to do is attach and, and retroactively the sins of those who looked like you attach them to your account. I mean, we, 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 we have uh, the issue of, of, of original sin that we inherited from Adam. Christ paid for it all. There's nothing left out of that payment. Jesus was a full propitiation, the absorption of God's wrath, Romans 3.25. He paid for all of the wrath due us because of our sin. So if we're in him, that, that sin has been paid for. There's, no, there's nothing for you to reconcile. There's nothing for you to, to pay for. On, on Sunday, I'm going to be talking, uh, speaking from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, and, and walking people through the fact that, that what justification, what being saved by grace through faith does, is it, it, it reconciles us to God, but it also reconciles us one to another. And the, the real separation, the real division in, instituted by God of Jew and Gentile God breaks that down in the body of Christ and unites the two and, and, and creates one man as a result. And so as a result, if God can take a real division and bring two, the two different groups of people into one man, how much more can he, with this pseudo-scientific, social-cultural ideas of races that has been permeated by the culture that we currently have? Those aren't even real. Uh, Krista, Monique, we're, we're all one, one race. You know, Krista, you and I are the same race. We're right. the same race of human being created in the very image of God. And as a result of that, we, we can unite now even greater than our biology. You and I are spiritually connected for eternity as a result that you and I, Colossians uh, 3, are hidden in Christ. Yeah, that's so good. I, to me, that is just such a powerful concept um, to understand that the unity is already there and we need to start acting Mm -hmm. like it. We need to, we need to stop acting like there's some huge division between us and start acting like in the physical, what is already true of us in the spirit realm. And so I'm wondering about if you have any thoughts, um, for pastors as they're facing challenges with their own staff, I mean, we're getting woke. Yeah. Because we had a friend this week, she went in and met with her pastor because on the church website, they had recommended uh, Be the Bridge and some other kind of CRT oriented books. And she's she is familiar with our resources. And so she just very bravely went and spoke to her pastor is a pastor of a mega church and come to find out he hadn't read any of these books he, he just, somebody on staff gave him this recommendation. These are the books you should have people mm-hmm. read, but he hadn't actually vetted them. And, he, but he's afraid to confront it with his staff because they're younger and they're all kind of buying into this. Possibly cause a split. What yeah. if my church rises up against me? What, what yeah. do you, what do you, do you have any thoughts about dealing with, with staffing issues of what maybe pastors might be doing? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very careful to speak in, in contexts where I'm not, but I will say this. I, I, think it's, I think it's incumbent upon pastors, rather than putting a bunch of books together and offering those as, as something people should read or look at or, or what have you, 
that we really get back to teaching systematic theology, that we really get back to teaching the doctrine of man, the doctrine of sin, and and people begin to understand these concepts so that they're not not making those kinds of, of errors. It is a. It would be challenging. I could not imagine being. I'm so grateful. Can I just say this? I'm so grateful to be at a church where the the, the senior pastor and I see eye to eye on these issues. In fact, as this thing, as we began to watch this thing heat up, I called him, and I said, I just want to be clear about one where I'm at and where I stand. And just so that you know, he knows that I do the Just Thinking podcast. I said, I, I want you to know. Um, I've got an opportunity to speak about this publicly, but but I'm I'm submitted to, to leadership here. Whatever you whatever you want to have happen, I'm good with. I'm so grateful that I'm at a church where the pastor said, "Listen, man, God has positioned you to speak to this with crystal clarity. Do so, and 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 know that we're behind you. We've got your back." And so I'm I'm fortunate to be in that context. But but like you, Krista, I've uh, over the course of the last two weeks, Daryl and I have received thousands. And I mean, mm-hmm. every, every couple of days, a, a, another thousand emails, inbox messages of the same kinds of issues of people who have, who either have, you know, they found out their pastor is woke or their pastors made recommendations about books that, that have nothing to do uh, with, with scripture um, or their pastor has, uh, you know, doesn't really know what to do. Maybe is silent on the issue and, and is getting uh, some some push from some from from some members of the church who are woke who want him to lead in a specific way. I, I would say this. Listen, I have no problem reading those books, no problem reading those books. But I would do so with an open Bible, and and, and I would do so with the intent of of really marking up what's there, uh, unpacking. If you could see my desk right now in preparation for this uh, for this for this interview, I've got. I've got some. I've got some James Cone here on my <laughs> desk. I've got some. You know, I I didn't know where 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 we would go, so I just I, I got all of my stuff kind of laid out in, in an effort to answer any question that might that might come up. But I've got all I've got all of James Cone's works. I've got I've got all of the different. I have no problem reading these works, but I also have right on my desk my very open Bible. Right. Uh, and 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 I'm I'm making sure that what I'm reading is aligning itself with the word of God. And when it, where it doesn't, I would encourage that, that parishioner, that, 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 that leader to go back and say, Hey, I was reading this. Are you aware that this is connected to this? And that totally contradicts what scripture has to say. Where, where are we leading in this thing? Maybe, and maybe create dialogue around that. That's so good. That's that's really good. I just spoke with someone today who told me that their school, their Christian school that has stayed true to historic Christian doctrine is now bringing in someone who promotes black liberation theology because they, they need to, you know, diverse, look diverse and be diverse. And it broke my heart. Um, We do have a question. I want to get to it really quickly because it's along the same lines. Um, Quick question. Someone is from Ramey P. Um, Someone framed reconciliation in terms of God and human versus human and human. In other words, we who are reconciled to God are now called to reconcile one to another through social justice. How do you view this biblically and counter this? Yeah, well, I, again, we we know scripture is absolutely clear that we've been, we've been, first Corinthians, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And, and that reconciliation takes place through gospel proclamation, not through social justice. Yes. That, that, that's, that's crystal clear. Yeah. In, it's in reconciliation between, between us, us and God. 
Well, yeah, the reconciliation between us and God and how he has reconciled us one to another through the work of the the cross. So we're reconciled. But then the way and I I mean, y'all can correct me if if I'm wrong, but I see that reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation as us going out and proclaiming the gospel so that someone else can be reconciled to God. To God first. Yes. And as a result of the complete work of the gospel in the life of the believer, see, the gospel is not simply sufficient for our justification. That's, that's where we miss it. Our thought process is that this gospel is good enough to save and then it stops. But the gospel is sufficient for our, our justification and our sanctification. Every time we open up the pages of scripture, when, when you, your book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapters one, two, and three, what does it tell us? It tells us about salvation. That's right. About the, the impact of salvation, the Trinitarian work of salvation in, in chapter one. It mm-hmm. tells us about where we were in chapter two and how God, how God, how God called us uh, in, in, into, into faith through the gospel, that we've been given the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. The end of chapter two begins to tell us about being reconciled one to another. All of that is done through gospel proclamation, not the social justice gospel. Mm-hmm. So it, it's twofold. It's, it's justification, making us right before God. And it's, it, it impacts our sanctification, the manner in which we walk. Uh, Ephesians chapter four is going to tell you now that you know this, this is how you, you must live in a manner worthy of the call. What is that call? That call is the gospel call to you to be made righteous before God through the gospel. Now, as a result of the gospel, you must live a life that, that is reflective of that gospel. I think it's, that's a really well stated because I, I, I think, I feel like that passage, I think it's in second Corinthians chapter five, that where the ministry of reconciliation gets thrown around, but then they just kind of key off the word reconciliation. And then all of a sudden we're talking about racial reconciliation and I'm thinking, wait a minute, but that's not what's in the context. Not, o- not only is it not within the context, there's no there's there's no biblical framework for races. I mean, you, you've yeah. got to go. You've got to go back to that. There's no there's no what, what we're doing is we're taking a, an American historical context and we're implanting it on top of the text of Scripture. Exactly. That's not yes. what's there. So if if people maybe are finding themselves, we're getting a number of messages in the chat kind of on a theme of of you know, what do I do if, you know, I'm seeing my pastor starting to promote, like Eric Mason is coming to my church was one of the. No, Walter Strickland is coming to my church. Yeah. But there was one yes. I hear Eric oh, Mason okay. too was coming. Yeah, that, that's uh, not any better. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that was my conversation earlier. Do you think that from a pastor's perspective, it's good for lay people to come gently, try to talk to their pastor respectfully, but, you know, have that conversation with them to inquire and and not just assume their pastor buys into these things, but to inquire and to find out the case. Yeah. I I think it's, I think conversations are always good. My my concern at the point at which uh, these kinds of things are happening is that a lot of this has to do with what kind of church you're at. It it really does. And and you've got to ask yourself the question, have I been attending a church? Because long before this issue arose, had to be some other things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm at a church where, where they hold to biblical truth. They, they're, they're, there's issues like there are at every church, right? 
But at the end of the day, my pastor is going to acquiesce, bow the knee to what, what is, what is the word of God declare, right? And if you, if you can kind of look back historically speaking and examine, have we just been doing things on the basis of, of pragmatism or have we been doing things based upon what, what the word of God declares about an issue? And if primarily the ministry is built around that, I, I really, I would encourage you to pray, uh, seek the Lord and, and, and have the conversation, but be prepared for what might need to be happening next, which is you may need to look for another place of worship. I was going to ask in talking about pastors and, you know, either their staff or their congregants kind of getting woke or potentially turning on them and things like that. What do you think some of the the issues or challenges are that pastors are going to start to experience in the coming weeks, months, years? I don't necessarily see this issue going anywhere anytime soon. No, I, Monique, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think it's here to stay. Uh, we have created uh, educationally, socially, culturally, a, a, a permanent victim class. And, and mm-hmm. it, it's just a matter of the flavor of the month. At one, one point, it's, it's the LGBTQ, uh, AIA++. Uh, the next moment, it's, it's the Black Lives Matter folks. And, and they've identified a way in which, based upon uh, the, the, the horrible killing of, of George Floyd, I, I, I say that Black Lives Matter, well, that's a, I, I, I could go on, <laughs> I could go on a dive. You and me both. We are, ooh, I mean, that's a whole show all by yourself. Yeah. It really is. It really is. I mean, it, they're, they're opportunists. Yes. They're opportunists. And, uh, and, and they're, they're, they're the ones standing on the necks of, of, black, of black men who've died for the purpose of pushing forward a social agenda, right? a socialist agenda, a Marxian agenda uh, that, that, that intends just to uproot and, 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 de- and deconstruct the very culture that we enjoy. That, that's the whole purpose yep. of it in short. Um, but 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 to but to get back to the to the to the question that at hand, I mean, you know, what 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 are pastors going to be experiencing? What are they going to be dealing with? How are they going to navigate this? Um, I, I just go back to, to to scripture. We we have we we live a life of of dying to self, of of, of picking up our cross and following Christ. Uh, we we're told in scripture that we're going to deal with persecution in this world always. Uh, we're told to identify with Christ through his sufferings. I don't know what any pastor woke up believing they were going to experience, but these kinds of things. I, I really don't. I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have advice for a pastor who believes that his, that his purpose is to live this, this, this cushy life, making money and calling it a day. I, I, I don't, I don't have advice for that. Hmm. That's not where we are. And, and culture is not going to allow that to take place. I will say this, for those who do appeal to this woke agenda, I promise you, you'll be unable to be woke enough. Yes. Uh, to, to tomorrow, there'll be something else. The next day, there'll be something else. The next day, there'll be something else. This is, this is a works-based gospel that intends your destruction. That's exactly what it intends. So you can either stand up to it now based upon the truth of Scripture or fall over the course of time into something you don't, you no longer recognize. I want to get back to something that you mentioned earlier uh, when you talked about uh, we, we were we were discussing the impact of the gospel and, and its ability to reconcile because people have the misunderstanding that and I Daryl says it this way. Unfortunately, most folks have no idea what the gospel really is. 
They have no idea what the gospel really is. Their thought process is the gospel is what saved me, and that's it. The, the, the gospel is much more than that. I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Let me read this to you. The text says this, and we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, and you accept it. So now, what did, what did the, the people at, in the churches in Thessalonica receive from them? They received the gospel. They received the gospel, the good news of the gospel. That's what they heard and accepted. The, the verse goes on to say, it was not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And here's the, here's the key, which is at work in you believers. This gospel does more than simply save you and then rest on the shelf. This gospel is a work on the inside of the heart of the, of the believer, conforming us, transforming us into the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. That's its purpose. Its purpose is to conform us into the image of his son. So if it's doing that work on the inside of us, as we continue to study, as we continue to fellowship with other believers, as we continue to be in discipleship and allow the, the, the water of God's word to wash over our hearts, issues of race, ethnicity, ethnic hatred, prejudice will be dealt with directly. The problem is we don't want the gospel to do its work. What we want to do is we want to get woke. And we want to come up with something exterior with the hope that something exterior will have an interior impact on the heart of men. And there's only yes. one thing that has been prescribed by God to have a transformation on the heart. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that, absolutely. I wish we had some shouting music. I know. Because I shout right now. We, we need Bob to work on that. Yeah. Shouting music or yes. organ or something. Uh, you had another question. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, one of the most common questions we get, Virgil, is, and I have, I'm working on a blog post about this, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it, is this whole idea of corporate guilt mm. and that, you know, well, if, yeah, okay, I can, I can be with you in the idea that Jesus paid for all my sins, but I'm white and I have this corporate guilt. And then they, they pull out these two verses one from the book of Daniel and one from the book of Nehemiah and that they repented for their sins on behalf of their people. And then they kind of bootstrap their way from that to, well, they, they repented on behalf of their people. You need to repent on the behalf of the sins of your people as a white person. And then we arrive at reparations eventually. So, you know, maybe you can address those those verses a bit in this whole corporate guilt thing. One of the things that is inc incredibly important is to have the proper biblical categories for the issues as we see them. We, we, we recognize that in, in, in the book of Daniel and in the, in the Old Testament, God is dealing with, with the nation Israel from a standpoint of, of, of he being head of it, right? He, it, it being a theocracy right? It, it, that, that God's government reigns over Israel. And as a result, he deals with them very uniquely and specifically. If what we're saying is that America is a theocracy, I think we've got a problem, biblically speaking. Mm -hmm. The people of God are now under the law of grace. We're, we're, under, we're under a different and new covenant that is not attached to the old covenant. Our covenant is built actually on better promises. From a standpoint of societal guilt, I don't see where they come up with that from a standpoint of looking at the New Testament and understanding Romans chapter 8, 
verse 1, that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, if you don't have a category for societal guilt on the basis of the theocracy of God in the Old Testament, as God dealt with the nation Israel, and a proper category for the biblical Christian who is no longer under God's theocracy in the way that Israel was in the Old Testament, but is now under a new covenant built upon better promises where we can apply scriptures like Romans chapter 8 verse 1 to our lives, I don't know that I can help much with regard to that. Yeah. And it's kind of my understanding that from a new covenant perspective, that what we are guilty of is our own sin and, and, and that Christ reconciles us as individuals. Um, and in fact, there's an interesting exchange in the gospel of John about with Jesus and some Jews where they're, they're kind of seem to be relying on their connection to Abraham. And he tells them, no, it's your connection to me that, that matters that, that, mm-hmm. that is going to save you. It is not your corporate connection, your group identity to Abraham. And in fact, Jesus says elsewhere that unless you hate your father and mother and, and cling to me, you know, that is, is how you get saved. I, I see that as having some bearing on that guilt uh, and salvation conversation. I'm just curious if, if you see it, that as being relevant as well. I, I do. Here's what's interesting. And in that the only guilt that those, I mean, what did, what did Israel repent of? They, they, they looked at the law and they repented of all their sins against God, right? What, what folks are trying to do in America is the, 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 all, there's only one sin, and that is the sin of historic slavery in America, that they're actually a, a, attaching this societal guilt to. I mean, there's a whole lot, there's a whole lot more than, uh, there's, a, there's a whole lot more sins than just that one sin. Right. And if we're going to if we're going to grab onto the societal uh, aspect of guilt today, I mean, there's a whole lot of that that we could be repenting of rather than just this one issue. My, my point in simply raising that is that that we're, we're not be, we're, we're not being consistent in our application, even if we're going to hold to an Old Testament text. Hmm. Very good. The, the message or the word that always comes to me about that is in Jeremiah. When um, when Jeremiah prophesies that like the sins of the father will no longer set the son's teeth on edge. You know, I begin to think of, you know, just because these people did this, it no longer um, means that the guilt and the burden of that sin is going to be passed down to the child or to the, the generations that flow after that. Yeah. What the other thing that that says, if you if you think about it, Monique, what it says is that Christ paid for all the sins that, that, that bear upon us, except for that one, mm. right? That, that, that there's something left out of the atonement that we need to take upon ourselves and, 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 and attach to that some form of works in order to be made righteous. What do you think is going to happen in churches if pastors, conti- I'm not saying all pastors, if some pastors um, don't address these doctrinal issues directly? Yeah, I, you know what? I, I, I wish I had a crystal ball. I, I, I don't. I, I just think it's imperative that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that what you begin to see is, and I've, I've said this all along, uh, that's one of the reasons why Daryl and I do the, do the Just Thinking podcast. What we, fi- what we find often 
is that in, the, in a number of different churches, there's inch deep theology. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm being generous there. There's inch deep theology. And, and I, I even say that more times than not, many pastors are really in, in, the, in the process on a Sunday morning of providing 25 minute TED talks. They're, mm-hmm. they're motivational talks about how to live a better life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they've, they fed their congregation that, that, that milk. And it's not even the milk of the word. It's, it's the milk of success. It's the milk of a better life now. And so now as things are turned upside down on their head, they don't know what to do. And, and, and I, I, think, I think what happens in those instances are pastors who have been tickling the ears of their churches and congregations will continue to do so. And unfortunately, those places that are called churches will no longer be true churches. They'll, they'll be left to whatever devices are, are, are there. And, and those of us who are preaching the truth of the gospel stated upon his word will see increased persecution. So we might as well at this point prepare for that. Wow. Yeah. And I, I don't know that we are prepared. No. At all. I just think From- your, your observation is, is interesting, though, Virgil, that we pastors may have inadvertently conditioned their congregation through this Ted talk style Mm -hmm. of preaching that this cultural moment kind of caught them off guard. It was like, well, wait a minute, these sermons I've been doing on live your best life now, isn't going to kind of work anymore. Now, now what am I doing? And I I think that even, I, I think this is why, so many people that are writing to us feel so discombobulated because they thought they were in a Bible believing church. They thought everything was okay, but they didn't realize that there was kind of this thing simmering at the bottom. Like you said earlier, there's a lot of people that, that don't actually know the gospel. I I hear this all the time that they'll say, well, loving God and loving my neighbor, that's the gospel. And I'm always saying, no, that's actually the law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not the gospel. And so, you know, if that's what you, your church is telling you that your life is about, they're telling you, um, you know, an effect, not the cause. Yeah. And that's, that's deeply problematic. So that's some good stuff. All right. Thank you, Virgil, so much for being with us. Uh, I didn't want it to come to an end. I know I didn't either. Hey, I'm wondering if you have any, uh, any uh, fatherly advice for Monique? She's starting seminary in a few weeks. She's going to... I called him. I, I told him. I told him my secret that I'd be secretly calling him Uncle Virgil. <laughs> I do. Sis, you get a hold of me anytime. You got, you ladies know how to reach out. And so do. I'm I'm happy to help out in whatever way I can. I, I told Daryl before I was coming on. He's like, oh, man, you coming on? They, 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 they want they want, enough, they want me to come with them? I was like, nah, bro, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, but yeah, you know, we we listen. We are are, are I'm, I'm a big fan of, of what you ladies are doing and and uh, and what you're doing on Saturday nights. It's a joy to kind of connect with you. I'm I'm happy to help in whatever way I can. I do want to encourage folks uh, to check out our podcast if they're not familiar with it. Just yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you can you can go to justthinking.me. Justthinking.me. You can get Daryl's blogs. You can get you can get all the uh, how to support us how to pray for us. There's gear. There's all kinds of, there's all the podcasts listed there. And we've done, we've done a, a, a we're closing in on a hundred episodes. We've got a library of stuff that deal with this particular topic, as well as a number of other topics. One of the things that I, I'll say this and, and stop talking. One of the things that I'm, that I'm excited about is our most recent episode that we just did. It was, it was not on 
uh, social justice. It was not on being woke. It was on the assurance of salvation. Mm. And, and truth be told, it was it's probably one of my favorite episodes that we've done. Uh, we spent two hours covering the topic. Uh, Daryl did some incredible work, kind of doing some heavy lifting on the on, on the subject of, of eternal security. Uh, we navigated that, talked about that, unpacked that. Uh, I got a chance to kind of preach over the top of what he laid down. And so it was it was a lot of fun. I, I do think that people will be blessed by that. And uh, uh, definitely check out justthinking.me. You can get with me or Daryl uh, or podcast just on um, on Twitter or on Facebook. Connect yep. with us in any way possible. And so I just want to say again, ladies, thanks a bunch. Thank uh, you. Me. You have access to me, so you know how to get a hold of me anytime. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, All Virgil. Right. Take God care. Bless. Look at you. Look at all the Uncle Virgil. That yeah. was a blessing. That was that was good stuff. That was some really good stuff. And that. we want to encourage you. Hopefully some of you will be sharing this content with your pastor. We tried to ask some some church relevant questions with Virgil. And we yeah, just give us your feedback about how it's going for you. We know some of you are really nervous and, and you're going through a lot. So um that's hopefully we're continuing to provide different content. There was one question that I didn't ask him. I was him trying to look and through and see. That, that I, I really am just going to start asking the Lord to send us a guest where we can deal with this question of racial trauma. I feel like we need to get somebody that really has given some careful thought to, to that issue. Well, I think it's important too to understand the redefinition of even words like trauma. Yeah. Because trauma used to have a very specific definition and a very specific outlining of what would be considered traumatic. Now, it also has a lot of subjective definition too. So it there are ways in which I, and I can definitely see this, people assert like racial trauma and say, well, this was traumatic. But Historically, like you would look at things like, um, especially in children, the ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and be able to say, well, yes, these were traumatic experiences for this child, or there would the child could possibly have some kind of, um, you know, not mental delay, but you know, be experiencing some something emotionally because of you know this adverse adverse childhood experience. But right now, what we're seeing is that trauma can be almost anything yeah and I'm, i can't find it back but there was a couple of questions about you know the this idea of trauma and racial trauma and i feel like that that could be like a whole i think it could be a whole conversation but two we also need to ask what's the setup yeah so can white people experience racial trauma or only black and brown people that's that's one of my questions, because when we talk about racial trauma we normally talk about racial trauma from a poc point of view but if it's true trauma, trauma does not see color. The way our brains operate is not, you know, color bound or yeah. color based. And yeah. so if it is true trauma, it's not just something that we can say, well, only people of color experience this. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, so these are the things that questions that I would ask about trauma and bringing it so that people understand and get some clarity around the idea of trauma. How are we now defining trauma? And is trauma available to everyone? You yeah. can't be traumatized because you white. What? That don't make no sense. 
And you have some degree of experience yes. in, with trauma and yes. in your career. So yeah. you're not just talking off the top of your I'm head. I'm not just talking off the top of my head. And so that's why I'm like, you know, with this whole racial trauma, I'm not going to say it's not a thing. But I will push back to offer some clarifying and, and ask some clarifying questions yeah. to make sure that we can both start from a, a standpoint or a ground where we are understanding each other. Let me see where you're coming from, because you could be coming from a place that isn't a place like that's not a thing. Just, well, you know, only black people can experience this in it. Only the only black amygdala, amygdala, you know, do this in the brain. What? What? Only only the black pre or brown prefrontal cortex does this. Like, no, it that doesn't work. It no, no. We'll so, talk about that sometime. I'm yeah. kind of I'm kind of a I have a little issue when people just throw around the word trauma. Yeah. I have a big issue with it, as it's, you can probably see. Sorry, folks. I'm just letting my issues flow out tonight. Sorry about that. Okay, are we ready for the tweet? Now we uh, haven't have we haven't don't be trying to surprise like like we just had a tweet every week. We haven't had a tweet of the week in a while. Do we need to talk about this? Okay, so here's the real. Okay. We ain't she trying to be like, oh, here come the tweet of the week. Tweet, tweet. Like we like we've been doing tweets of the week. Like y'all wouldn't notice. Come on now. Come on now. What's going on? Well, I kinda deactivated my Twitter account. <laughs> First of all, she deacted her Twitter account and then people started emailing me. And I was like, <laughs> what? But okay. So it's just, it's so toxic there. I just couldn't anymore. I just, uh, I just couldn't. So I deactivated a few weeks ago. So that's why we haven't been having the tweet of the week. So everyone's saying we noticed. Yes, see, see. <laughs> Exactly. I just, I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. So I'm gonna try. Still, I'll, I'll like maybe go on Monique's Twitter. <laughs> Look, <laughs> but I just, I can't. I can't with Twitter. It's so toxic. It just is. It's not nice there. Okay, but I do have a tweet. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is very yeah. extra. Okay. Yes. Well, we like being extra, you know. All right. So here's the tweet. Oh, look, it's Neil Shenvey. How did I know? <laughs> My favorite. We could have guessed. Okay. The pri- I just thought this was such great wisdom. He tweeted this a little earlier today. The primary line the Bible draws is not between those with power and those without it, but between those inside the kingdom and those outside it. Yes. I thought that just nailed it you in know adam or in christ yeah and that that this this kind of unbiblical paradigm that so many people are using now of oppressed versus oppressor uh marginalized versus privileged these are not biblical categories this is not how we come into relationship with the father the way that we come into the relationship with the father the the, the question that he is concerned about is what is your relationship to me, to the covenant? Uh, as it says in Ephesians chapter two, you know, those who were far away from the covenant have now been brought near. That is the distinction that God cares about. He cares about those who are in the kingdom and those who are outside of it. And those of us who are in the kingdom that we preach the gospel to those who are outside of it. 
So that is the tweet of the week. And uh, let's keep our categories straight. Let's not be buying into non-biblical categories. No, no non-biblical categories. too confusing. Yes. I'm a very simple person. Don't make things up. Yeah. (laughs) We don't need to make things up. We got enough things to remember. Don't make it up so that everybody can just stay straight. Okay. That's That's, it. That's our show. Man, we went long tonight, but that was good. That was some good that stuff. Was, that was fun. All right, you guys. Take care. Hit the share button. Like, thumbs up. Subscribe. Yeah, share with your friends. Hit the notification bell. Get your bell. shirt. Y'all, you, you can have truth right on your chest. Yes. <laughs> Go to yes. merch. Get the merch. Centerforbiblicalunity.com. Share the things. Bye, you guys. Take care. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.